Hello and welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari, and this is Great Big History Podcast. We continue our History 102 lecture series with the 1920s, the conservative backlash. So in the last episode, we talked about liberalism, feminism, African-American culture, um, the new economy, new culture. To all of those things, conservatives in the United States, especially, but also in Europe, fought back. They didn't want this new 1920s world that the that World War I gave birth to. So conservatism in the 1920s wanted some reasonable stuff. A, it had been the traditional culture since 1815, the end of the French Revolution. It's not unreasonable to figure it would continue to lead societies, that it would be the basic uh, political and cultural philosophy of the Anglo-European world. So what does it want? Well, it wants what it's wanted since 1815, a role for traditional institutions, the church, the family, the town, not the city, not London, not New York, not Chicago. That's too big. It's too much. It's too much energy, too much money, too much crime, too much prostitution, too much drinking, too much less. There's not enough morality in their view. The city is too big, which, let's face it, is a critique of of cities as old as Gilgamesh, the first story ever written, which is about Babylon, basically, being too big. And Plato, P-L-A-T-O, the Greek philosopher, thought that the perfect size of a city was 10,000 people. Anything above that was too big. Because at 10,000 people, you could really know most people in the town, in the city. So when you get to New York and London at millions of people, it's too big. Two, the supremacy of the rural lifestyle and the rural economic agricultural methodology. You make stuff, you work hard, you enjoy your time off, you own property, and you provide for your wife and your kids. And later on, your parents. Very hallmark channel. They wanted the supremacy of the rural lifestyle. Three, the traditional hierarchy in society of order and paternalism, that the traditional leaders take care of the social obligations of their local and loyal citizens. The business, the church, the government work together to help people advance. But the mayor remains the mayor. And doesn't you don't have these giant elections. You have elections that are small, that only a few people take participate in, and they're not really decisive. And they're definitely not divisive. That's tr traditional leaders. That's the Elks Club, the Kiwanis Club, the um, you know, Knights of Columbus, these groups, these social institutions that men gather, have a beer, and talk about how they're going to run the town. Very few of them have the long mustache. Well, in 1910, they have a lot of long mustaches, but they're not twirling them going, ha, 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 let's steal all the money and kill all the babies. No, that's not what they're doing. 
They are perpetuating their lifestyle, yes, their role, but they're also going, how do we open up good businesses in Main Street? How do we take care of the sewer system? How do we build, rebuild uh, the roads out to the countryside so the farmers can come in easier for um, the farmer's market? But they don't want all the, the, like the, the urban machine going, the political machine and the, the money and the stock markets. and the, they wanna, They've run the town for 100 years. They want to continue to run the town. White people, quote-unquote white people, which is an amorphous term, especially in the 1920s. But what was meant was the traditional white people, British, German, Irish, Scandinavian, the 19th century white people, would be the majority and would protect property. They would protect poor folks' jobs, their poor folks' jobs, and the economics from the flood of poor immigrants, mostly coming from Southern, Eastern Europe, and Latin America, from Mexico, from Asia, these Japanese and the Chinese, but especially the Italians, the Greeks, and the Jews coming from Eastern Europe. This flood coming in in 1920 in the teens and the 20s, of, of Catholics, of Orthodox, and especially of Jews coming in that are seen as not traditionally American. They're not the Protestants, British, German, Scandinavians, and they're not the acceptable Irish Catholic. This is a new group. And even the Irish Catholic don't like the Italians. I know that from my own personal experience of families where the Irish and the Italians get married in the 70s, the 1970s, and their families hated each other. They're like, oh, couldn't you find a nice Irish girl? Couldn't you have to marry this dark Italian? It's like, oh, my God, it's 1973, man. What the, how, how are you racist against other white people? But they were. And that's this, this sentiment from the 1920s. Well, our family has been here since 1848. Okay, that's great. So what? The British-German people have hated you since then. Congratulations. The Scandinavians had to move out to Minnesota, of all places. I mean, come on. You know. So every group hates the group that comes after it. So, and if you've seen West Side Story, you know the problem with the Italians and the Puerto Ricans. And then they, they all got married in the 70s and the 80s. It's like, in the 50s, they hate each other. In the 70s, all their kids are marrying each other. But we get conservative backlash. And it starts with Warren Harding's return to normalcy speech in 1920. His big win in 1920. America's present need is not heroics. right? The war is over. But healing. Not nostrums, but normalcy. Not revolution, but restoration. Not agitation, but adjustment. Not surgery, but serenity. Not the dramatic, but the dispassionate. Not experiment, but equipoise. Not submergence in internationality, but sustainment in triumphant nationality. Now that is an argument for conservatism, as we've defined it, as Burkean conservatism. It's not we have to go back. It is, now is not a time for, 
for change. Not agitation, but adjustment. That's really against the women, right? And civil rights, but especially women demanding the right to vote. Serenity, not the dramatic, but the dispassionate. Not experimentation. Right? Why? Because World War I caused all of this upheaval. All the changes in technology, in economics, in labor unions, in women's rights, in birth control, in culture, radios and movies, in education, plus the massive movements of peoples, immigrants flooding into the U.S., uh, black folk moving to northern cities, the Slavs and the Catholics and the Jews coming in. The, in the West Coast, it's Chinese and Japanese. Also, the upheaval of rural folk moving to cities. And so there is a desire of a lot of people to just stop. And for a lot of people to make it 1900 again. The problem is you can't go back. You cannot. Liberalism demands that you can't go back. But change demands that you can't go back. Economics says you can't go back. The Democratic Party was splitting between its conservative, its racist southern group, and its more liberal, pro-union northern wings. So it had a rural, patrician, traditional Democratic part in the South that wanted to keep Jim Crow racist laws in power as long as possible. Meanwhile, its northern wing, this is kind of what happened in the 1830s and 1840s to the, to the Democratic Republicans, its northern wing was based in the cities and was a working man's party, was a pro-union party. The Republican Party, on the other hand, was the business, was the party of big business since 1865. It still is today. It is the it is you know who is the constituency of the Republican Party? The CEOs of large corporations and their their managerial uh, white collar workers, their managers, their lawyers. That's who is the Republican Party base since 1865. It wants immigration. It wants black labor to move to the cities. It wants free trade. It wants more technology. It wants its, its people to have better education because they'll be better workers. So there isn't really, in 1920, a culturally conservative, revanchist political party capable of accomplishing what the conservatives want. Because the, the part of the Democratic Party that wants to do that can't win without the pro-union working man's party that wants change. And the Republican Party of big business doesn't want the cultural conservatism of the Jim Crow South. Because it's bad for business. You can't sell um, racism to liberal progressives in the northern cities. You know, and you need the workers. You want the immigrants and you want the, the African-American workers in the factories. So there isn't really a party capable of, of a revanchist party putting the genie back in the bottle. So the best you get is the return to normalcy. We'll stop. We'll just stay like it is. So conservatism in the 1920s says things are fine the way they are. 
change should happen very slowly. But World War I had so much change that conservatism is failing. You, so you get revanchist groups, the return to better days, the return to 1900. And you start to get the Republican Party representing a conservatism in America. Now, Teddy Roosevelt, Taft, and Wilson, who was a Democrat, were all progressives with lots of social spending, regulations on businesses, high taxes on the rich. We get the income tax, right? And the income tax just shot to 70, 80 percent, whatever it was during World War I to pay for it. The Republicans were perfectly willing to tax rich people who were their core constituents. The Democratic Party was a traditional conservative party, but it was the party of the white South. But it was also the party of the working laboring classes who didn't like the business ownerships, who were mostly Republicans. So you can see there's this mess of parties. There's this mixture of parties that doesn't exist really today. That's why when you hear um, in the news we talk about polarization, what has happened is the liberals on everything, cultural and economics, have gone to one party, while conservatives on culture and economics have gone to another party. They've been pulled apart, but here there's a mixture. So you can see the political system is under strain. And in 1920, the Republicans win large victories, this return to normalcy. So they're big business victories. There's less regulation, lower taxes, lower social spending, more individual freedom and more individual responsibility, meaning you have a chance to get rich. And if you're poor, it's your own fault. The government will get out of your way. We'll talk. We'll see this later. Conservatism equaled a conservative religious social program plus support of big business, which is essentially what the Republican Party is today. Now, in the 1970s, what they'll do is flip spot with the Democratic Party in the South. What that cultural cons religious conservatism will not play, it will play in rural America, but it will lose power in northern and western states, but gain power in southern states, mostly because of the civil rights or, or conservative reactions to the civil rights pro, uh, victories of the 60s. And so you start to have that pulling apart. But it starts here, this process where the Republican Party is a party of big business plus cons culturally conservative rural folk starts in the 1920s. It begins its process. It's going to take 60 years till 1980 for this to be become the Republican Party. And it really takes till 1994 for, the, for, for it to be complete for that process. But the process starts in the 1920s. The process you're living in today, the parties you're living in now, begins in the 1920s. So what does conservatism want? Since it doesn't want to change, and it doesn't believe in doing big things because those big things could lead to change, what does it care about? It wants to oppose stuff. And the first is communism, anti-communism. Why? Well, communism wants to overturn democracy and replace it with one-party rule. That's not anti-communism BS. That is actually what communism wants. Um, communism would say we that that one party will then disappear into a Rousseau, Rousseauian community, but that's not happening in 1925. So you got to stick with the world as it is. And so if you're anti-communist, you're anti-one-party dictatorship. 
You want to overturn communism wants to overturn ownership of property. Well, if you're a conservative and an ally of big business, that's definitely not what you want. You want to be able to own the things and not let the government come and take it. Communism also wants massive regulation on personal activities and business activities. So conservatism, American conservatism, sees communism as basically anti-American, especially economically. Two, it's anti-feminism, conservatism, not communism. Conservatism is anti-feminism. Women work, they made money during the war. That's a problem. Why? Because now they're independent. They don't need to get married. They don't need a man. So they're anti-college for women, anti-birth control for women, anti-work for women. Anything that allows a woman to not be a wife or a mother, this is the Hallmark Channel conservatism. The Hallmark Channel Christmas shows, which all are warm and fuzzy, are almost all about a woman living in the big city who doesn't have children, isn't married, and isn't satisfied in her soul with what has become of her life. She has sexual relationships with men who don't love her and she doesn't love. Her, her job is not fulfilling. Oh, well, this Christmas I'm going to go home to rural Kansas to see my parents. And oh look, I meet the local carpenter who happens to be uh, um, sanding down a local childhood swing set he built for the park shirtless. Oh. And by the end of it, she's marrying the, the local guy, giving up her life, moving back to the rural town which she has escaped in her 20s. If you watch Virgin River, it's essentially the same thing. And that's now on Netflix. Woman's motherhood has to be protected. So you get things like Mother's Day. Um, it's anti, funny, it's anti-birth control. That women, birth control prevents women from being moms. And conservatives should help women be moms. Now, the problem with liberalism is liberalism would say, all right, if you have more children, you should get more support for those children for the government. But conservatives don't want the government to be involved. So they want to force women to have children, not quite force, but leave the possibility open for women to have children. But then women have to pay for those extra children. So women are both children are both the blessings in conservatism and a curse at the same time. But women should be convinced to raise strong boys. And it's the crisis of liberal women raising homosexuals. So that's the Boy Scouts like we talked about. It's these, these local boys clubs where they do all kinds of manly things. They build things and they shoot things and they, they hang out with boys and other men. Feminists are seen as more dangerous than the commies. Emotional women are crazy dangerous. Female assassins are murdering world leaders. This is from a Rochester, if you're watching the video, 1908 Rochester, New York newspaper. Women anarchists have become the terror of the world's police. Their daring crimes are said to have outstripped the deeds of the Brothers of the Red. That's communists. Search for the woman is becoming a safe rule in crimes. Proceeding from an... an Anarch Anarchistic I can't say it. Violence. I'm in my head. The guardians of the world 
meaning men, nearly always find a woman implicated. When a ruler is stricken down, emotional women lose their sense of fear. Oh my god. Feminist women. And notice what will happen in the 60s. And when I was a kid, feminists became feminazis. That was a favorite of Rush Limbaugh. His revanchist uh, attack on women going to college, getting educations, going into the workforce. You know, they're feminazis. They're forcing their liberal feminism on us men. And they're doing it with their vaginas. Because there's the problem, right? Men, men, the problem with strong feminist women wanting things is that men have to have sex with them otherwise men have sex with other men and that's even worse so for rush limbaugh it's like you're it's it's an it's terrible and for the men who listen to rush limbaugh it is these women taking over the incels today are those guys from the 90s oh my god these women are will not have sex with me well it's their body man you didn't earn that right sorry so now I will kill them. Well, that, what? And that's where we are. The feminazis. On the, what are they Nazis about? Their vaginas. Well, and they're imposing their will on us. And we have to submit because otherwise we have to be gay. And Rush Limbaugh cannot be gay. It's, huh. Why can't he be gay? Because conservatism is anti-homosexual. Because that means the men aren't doing their right job running the society, running the women. The men in the trenches are without women. Strange stuff happens. But it's not normal. Men must get married and have... Like, there's an acceptance that there was homosexuality in the trenches, in the war. Well, there weren't any women around. Well, okay, a red-blooded American might, you know, get a little something-something. Or be seduced into doing a little something, something. But now he's home, and he's with Mary Jane, and they should have three kids and live in the suburbs. But if she's cut her hair to look like a boy, and she's wearing trousers, and she wants to vote, well, what's going to happen? What kind of woman is he? What is this man who's been seduced by other men in the trenches out of necessity going to do? So men must get married. They must have children. They must raise a family for the good of the country, for the good of themselves. So homosexual men are liberal. They're commies. They're overeducated. They're effete. They're European. They always, they're going to speak French. Right? I mean, think about, I mean, this is, this European is, is a stereotype. This homosexual European man is a stereotype that's in the Simpsons. When, when Marge, Right? Joins the bowling league. And it's the French speaking. Right? It's the French speaking homosexual. It's it's vaguely European. Liberalism is, is it's always got this connotation that it's not American. It's European. It's a feat. And it's overeducated. And it's urban and urbane. So it's anti-homosexual. Because the homosexual represents everything. That American conservatism is against. Right? Everything. In all of its power dynamics. And finally, it's pro-rural America. The 19, 1920 was the first year more people in America lived in cities than in the countryside. 
So conservatism sees rural Americans as real Americans. This is something Sarah Palin said in 2008. I'm glad to be, and this is the Trump, the Trump uh, rallies. That it's, it's, it's not, he's not going to have a rally at the Independence Hall in Philly where Obama and, and Hillary Clinton had their rally. No, he goes to South Jersey. He goes to um, the, the um, Wildwood. Or he goes to um, Vinland to have these rallies. You know, because those are white and they're poor and they're undereducated and they're hardworking and they're Christian and they're loyally democratic, little d. They're not necessarily part of the Democratic Party. They're loyally democratic. They, they're not communists. And they're not really dictators either. Right? They, they like being in power because they're the majority. But they do want to have democracy. And this view is that cities are dirty, full of immigrants, race mixing, money hustling. They're soulless. This is, this is the, the stereotype in every Hallmark Christmas Channel movie. The problem is, is the cities are where the money is and it's where the fun is. See, sex in the city. And the problem is rural America is losing this fight because the cities are fun. It's not sex and the farm. It's sex and the city. And they're making it again, apparently. They're re rebooting it. But it's, you want to start over? And that's, that's been the complaint about cities since Gilgamesh, since Babylon, since the earliest of cities is, that's where the fun is. I mean, look at your Bible. It's the whore of Babylon, Right? It's a city. The city is where the sex is. Uh, St. Paul is constantly writing to the Corinthians, being like, don't act like Corinthians. Stop doing all that sex and the drugs and the drinking. Stop that. It's bad. right? When in Rome, act as a Roman. That was, hey, man, have drink, have drugs, have sex. Dude, dude you're in Rome, man. Vegas, right? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, is that going to church? No, it's the drinking, the drugging, and the hookers. That's what the going to Vegas is about. And it's losing your mortgage, your down payment for your mortgage at the craps table. But gosh darn it, in Vegas ain't fun. There's, there's hookers on the street. There's free drinks in every casino. There ain't even a clock. You don't even know what time it is. Why? Because fun knows no time. There's free shows. There was there's Barry Manilow and um Britney Spears. And for a long time there was two dudes with tigers. There's Penn and Teller doing magic. And that's awesome. You don't get that in rural America. So, rural America has a problem, and that problem is after World War I, it's losing. And we see this on a famous song called How Are You Gonna Keep Them Down on the Farm After They've Seen Paris. Reuben, Reuben, I've been thinking, 
said his wifey dear. Now that all is peaceful and calm, the boys will soon be back on the farm. All right, war's over. Boys are going to come home. Mr. Reuben started winking and slowly rubbed his chin. He pulled his chair up close to Mother and asked her with a grin. So Mom is like, the boys are going to come home. It's going to be like it was. And the wink in the eye and the rubbing of the chin, Reuben is like, how are you going to keep them down on the farm after they've seen Puri? How are you going to keep them away from Broadway, jazzing around and painting the town? How are you going to keep them away from harm, meaning sexual harm, economic harm, uh, all of this you know, lascivious living? How are you going to keep them away from harm? That's a mystery. They'll never want to see a rake or plow. And who can deuce, who the deuce can parlay vu a cow? How are you going to keep them down on the farm after they've seen Paris? After they've seen a larger, more liberal, more sexually exciting world, how do you keep them? So urban life and the war is an existential threat to rural life and culture. Now, distance, it used to be hard to go to the cities, used to be give protection, used to equal protection. Uh, distance used to equal protection for rural America. You, you, it used to be too hard to go to Chicago. So you might visit, like the Simpsons do, to New York, right, in, in Homer versus Manhattan. But you didn't stay because it was too far. But now the railroads... The roads, buses, trains, it all ties it together. You could get on a train and be in Chicago. The boys have seen Europe. The boys have slept with European women. The boys have drank alcohol, have not gone to church in New York. The boys have had fun. Why would they pick up a plow? Why would they use a rake? Why would they come back to the back breaking labor and poverty of farming in rural America. Why? They've seen a better world. And so World War I plants the seeds of this existential threat. And if the boys want a college education, which every family would be, a, would be yes, I want you to get a college education, well, they're going to go to the city. They're going to go to Chicago. They're going to go to New York. They're going to go to to um, Philly. Where there's several things. Or you go to Penn State, which is in the middle of the state, so it could bring in everybody. But Penn State is not a rural town. It's 100,000 people. It's a city in the middle of Pennsylvania. And those professors are going to know things and have been places and are going to tell them ideas that they didn't know before. And they're going to meet girls from different places with different ideas. They're going to meet Jews. They're going to meet Catholics. They might meet black folk. They might like black folk. They might like black women. They're going to mix. And that's an existential threat to rural America. William F. Buckley in the 50s said, is reported to have said, 
a conservative. Now, William F. Buckley is the inventor or is the father of modern conservatism in America. And he is said, a conservative is a fellow who is standing athwart history yelling stop. And that is a perfect quote of conservatism, of, of Edmund Burke conservatism. Notice it's not stop. Notice it's stop. It's not go back. It's not a conservative is a fellow yelling, the past was better. We have to go back. We must return like Jack in Lost. No, it's yelling stop with the progress. Things are okay. But here's the question. How does conservatism control the massive energy of post-World War I liberalism? Women are on the move. Wealthy people are getting educated. Black people are moving to the north. Everything is collapsing. The way things were in 1910 no longer work. And in Europe, they don't work at all. In Europe, it's over. right? You have the welfare state. You've got women voting. You've got, you've got the complete collapse of the monarchies in, in Europe. So in Europe, it's, liberalism is let loose because it's not even a conservative. Conservatism completely loses after World War I because it got, it got 20 million people dead. So how is conservatism going to win? Prohibition. Culture. It's not going to win economics. Remember, the Republican Party is pro-big business, which wants immigrant labor, which wants black folk to move to the North. So you can't win economically. You have to win culturally. And so prohibition is the way. It is a way of imposing the morality and rural Protestant values and making that a test of true American. It's anti-Catholic because the Catholics drink wine. Remember, the, if you're Catholic, you get the Eucharist and you get a drink of wine. And the Italians, their kids are drinking wine. So it's anti-Catholic. It's anti-immigrant. The Italians and the Greeks, the Greeks also drinking all this wine to go along with their church services, which you can't deny them because it's church, but you like it still sticks in the core of Protestants. Because you remember, the, it's, it's, it's just a way of interpreting but wine is a Catholic thing. It's anti-youth culture. Prohibition is anti. Who goes to the bars? Who gets drunk? Who has who has anonymous sex? Young people do. So it's anti-youth culture. You're not married equals you are a problem in our society. So what do we have to do? We got to get you married. And when you're married, you're not going to go to the bar. You're not going to hang out. You're not going to do the crazy Charleston dancing. You're not going to go to the jazz club. You're going to stay home and be married and suffer like the rest of us raising your kids. Because kids suck. They're wonderful, but they also suck all the energy out of you so you can't do anything but work and take care of your kids, which means you can't get into trouble. It's a way for rural America to control urban America instead of being left behind. Again, remember, 1920, more Americans lived in cities for the, for the first time. It's also had buy-in from conservative black folk. This is one of those things that black folk could be like, yeah, we support this. And this is usually forgotten. Prohibition is seen as a white person thing, but conservative black people also supported it. It means, it was a means of independence from white debt. 
oh, white people will be perfectly happy to sell you all the alcohol you want. You just have to pay for it. Well, you don't have much money? Don't worry about it. Here's some credit. We know you're good for it, eventually. It's a reminder of that black culture, conservative black support for prohibition, is a reminder that black culture is actually more conservative than the liberal or bane white culture that they usually are allied with in the 20th century in America. Except on civil rights, hashtag Black Lives Matter. On that case, black folk are liberal or as liberal as their white counterparts, if not more liberal. But conservative black folk have a lot more in common with rural, family-orientated, agricultural, working, poor white folk. We see this, uh, one of the the great ways you see this is in the SNL skit, the Saturday Night Live skit, which was uh, Black Jeopardy, that they had Tom Hanks. So he had a, a black woman, a black woman. Uh, to the the African American actresses, and then they had a white, uh, uh, you know, a white cracker for you know to be insulting about it, but a rural white MAGA hat wearing, vaguely Southern if not West Virginian, rural white guy, and they do Black Jeopardy, and it turns out that they have a whole lot in common. Oh, about the government spying on you and about economics and about how the boss man treats you badly. And, oh, they have all of this in common. And then there's a question on civil rights. Lives that matter. And they're like, oh, that's the end of that. But it's a reminder that conservative is conservative, white or black. Conservative black culture was more rural, more religious, more family unity based because Poverty forced, um, didn't allow for a nuclear family. You had multi-generational families. Children were raised by grandparents. Uh, There's less education en masse. There are the historical black universities and colleges, but that was for a very small group of black leadership. And for the most part, Southern, especially in the Jim Crow South, black people couldn't get regular, regular education equivalent to white people education. They went to different schools and those schools were always underfunded. And there's also the idea that change is dangerous. Like, all right, Jim Crow is terrorism, but it could be worse. Like, the change could unleash a lot of stuff. And you're going to see this in the civil rights era where you get bombings of churches, right? That wasn't necessarily happening all that often in 1910. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I'm not enough of a scholar to like know the numbers. But by 1950, it's off the freaking charts. The terrorism with the with the change in in the demands for change in um, civil rights, the terrorism went white terrorism elevated. And got worse. And that's exactly what black conservatives were worried about. Like, work within the system. And white conservatives said the same thing. Work within the system. And that's um, Martin Luther King's letters from Birmingham jail. Where he says, these are the worst people. These, these are the ones who are like, the system will get better slowly. Well, you're not helping. Because you got, it goes back to Pankhurst, Mrs. Pankhurst. 
the you have to smash things to get attention to get people to care but that also meant marching across bridges and marching in Birmingham and that also meant having the white police sick their dogs on young black men and black women who had to suffer they had to be attacked in the um in order to integrate the lunch counters they had to be attacked at the lunch counters they had to suffer humiliation and violence and death at the hands of conservative terrorism and we'll get there when we get to civil rights but there is a conservative movement that's like look that change is dangerous and they were not wrong that's what that's the point i want to bring up is they were right change was dangerous that the change of the civil rights in the 50s and the 60s is going to be violent. People are going to die. The second is free trade economics. Let businesses, less taxes on businesses. Businesses had to pay a lot of taxes during the First World War. Everybody understood that. You may not have liked it, but it, you couldn't really argue against it. You had to win the war. But now the war is over, so hey, more freedom from monopolies, more freedom for businesses. Government won't support unions. It will allow industries to self-regulate. There will be few rules on banking, investing, pollution, worker compensation, or worker protections. Businesses will be allowed to do what they want. Just don't go too far. Define too far? Uh, we know it when we see it. The stock market becomes the measure of economic success. Despite 99% of folk not being involved in it, the Dow Jones went up 400% in 10 years. It's all in 10 years. It's only supposed to go up 100%. It's supposed to double every 10 years. It quadrupled. And so the stock market became a way of getting rich quick. It became a way of, 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 of investing your money, but investing money you didn't even have. But more importantly, it became the measure of economic success. And we do this today. The news does this every day. Every day I listen to NPR show Marketplace. And every day they tell me if the stock market has gone up or down. Why? They don't tell me anything else on a daily basis. Unemployment on a day? Nope. Uh, debt ratios on a day? Nope. Uh, trade imports to every day? Nope. Trade exports every day? Nope. But every day I know... If the Dow Jones has gone up four points or five points or gone down four or five points, it has become the measure of whether the economy is doing well or not. And you saw this, not in your lifetime, you saw this last year when COVID happened and suddenly the stock market crashed. It lost whatever it lost, 25% in March of 2020 and went suddenly the conservative Republican Congress went, we have to give money to people. We have to give money to people. We have to give money to people. But mostly give it to corporations. But we have to give money to people. Suddenly, I got a check for 1500 bucks from conservatives. Why? Because they wanted to give the airlines $100 billion. But they couldn't do that without giving regular folk something. And somewhere along the way, they came up with 1500 bucks. And hey, I took it. And I paid down my credit card bill. Thank you very much. That was nice. 
What got them moving? The stock market collapsed. And when the stock market stopped, started to go up, the checks stopped coming. Suddenly it was like, well, people will be okay. Oh, well, you know, we gave them unemployment, so they'll be fine. Dude, I was like, I'm going to get a UBI. I'm going to get a universal basic income. I'm going to get a check every freaking two weeks from the government now because they want me to spend it because the stock market. And they were talking about a UBI. They were talking about six. In Germany, it happened. In France, it happened. They paid people. They were like, you're unemployed. Here's money. Go. Here's 80% of your income. Go spend it. And did they worry about inflation? Did they worry about debt to GDP ratio? No. Why? Because the stock market was collapsing and businesses needed people to buy shit. Because the stock market equals economic success. It has become the definition. And that's going to matter when we hit 1929. Free trade economics brought up rugged individualism, the embrace of capitalism, especially by the Republican Party. You can get rich if you work hard, just like the titans of industries. And books came out. J. Paul Getty's How to Be Rich, his formulas. He'll tell you how he got rich. He's really one of the richest men in America. Carnegie and, and Vanderbilt and Rockefeller. Their books come out. Biographies come out. There's the Horatio Alger series, which is a little bit older, but it, it gets the same thing. The Protestant work ethic. The Max Weber's Protestant work ethic, Horatio Alger stories, the get-rich-quick schemes of the, of the stock market, the rags-to-riches stories, this you-can-do-it, you, you, you put a pencil to your temple. That's the opening song in Hamilton, right? That he's going to work harder than other people. He worked harder and got farther than other people. Well, he married the second or third richest family in New York. So guess what helped a hell of a lot? His brother-in-law, his brother-in-law owned a million acres of upstate New York. Peggy's husband was, until probably Carnegie or Rockefeller, the richest American in history. He was probably worth $100 billion in land. He owned a million acres. Could you imagine? Your house probably sits on a tenth of an acre, and you don't even own that. The bank technically owns it. Imagine owning a million acres of property. But the rugged individualism is ripped in, wrapped in the case that the government will get out of your way. Good luck. You succeed or fail on your own, but it, you can't blame government. It won't be government regulations stopping you from starting a new business. It won't be government taxing the hell out of you. It won't be government. You can make it. Go ahead. This is great. It sounds great. And it's very American. Uh, it, this, this is not European at all. Rugged individualism does not work in Europe at all after World War I because of the devastation. Because of the amount of dead people. Because of the amount of widows and orphans. There is no, government will get out of your way. Go make your fortune. They're like, F no, man. I need help. I don't have an arm. I'm blinded by gas. No. I don't want to be on my own. But remember, the United States came in in the war in 1917. It came and soldiers don't really show up till 1918. It comes in right at the end. 
So it didn't suffer as much. So this sounds good, but it forgets all the structural advantages and disadvantages of society. Donald Trump is a rich guy, yes, but his father left him $100 million. Dude, if my father left me $100 million, I could be a rich guy too. So there's structural advantages and disadvantages. And most people can't do the rags to riches. They don't have the ability. They don't have the, even the Horatio Alger is always meeting a mentor who's like, hey, it's like Pip and Great Expectations. Hey, I like you, kid. You work hard. Here's a million dollars to help you start your Starbucks. Oh, well, thank you, mister. Uh, Do you own 100% of it because you're the only uh, investor? No, I like your pluck so much. You get 100%. Oh, okay, give me 5%. But I don't want to have anything to do with your business. Here's money. I'm going to go away. Like, thanks. Thank you. Thanks. That doesn't happen. You know. The third thing that happens is the Ku Klux Klan. White nationalist organizational terror. This is private terrorism, though it does have the support of police, government, and institutions. Southern police officers helped the Ku Klux Klan. They were part, their members might be part of the Ku Klux Klan. In Europe, the failures of liberal government will get us fascism, fascist organizations, and that equals state terrorism. You don't so much have private terrorism, you have state terrorism. Because fascism will take over. And we'll talk about that when we do fascism. But but in the United States, fascism doesn't win. But it's accepted. And what we get, the, the... We get the lynchings of the 20s that explode in the 20s. We get the marches, the American first. Notice the Ku Klux Klan is marching to one country, one flag, America first. That is right out of a Donald Trump campaign uh, advertisement, the America first. Um, We get the immigration restriction laws of 1924 and 1925. They limit Japanese and Chinese. They limit the Japanese and the Chinese are excluded completely. Um, the reason why you you can't exclude the, Ch- the Japanese is because of Hawaii, because Hawaii is sixty percent descendants of of Japanese or Polynesian people. You just you just can't kick them all out. It, you, it's Hawaii. It's this, during World War II, right? There's the internment camps of Japanese in California and along the West Coast. Internment never happens in Hawaii because of the size of the Japanese population. Italians and Jews are subject to quotas. Quotas of 1890, when there were few Italians and Jews coming into the country. The goal was to keep America quote-unquote white, but German, British, Scandinavian, and Protestant, to not allow these new Greeks, Orthodox Greeks, Catholic Italians, and Jews to come in. And we see this in Charlottesville in 2017. The marching of this group of fascists, of these nationalist white dudes carrying their tiki torches, what did they scream? You will not replace us, and meaning liberals, and Jews will not replace us. Well, how are the Jews going to replace anybody? They're 2% of the population. There's 8 million Jews, Israelis, 
There's 8 million Israelis, and 20% of them are Muslim Arabs. Like, there's just, the Jews cannot replace 300 million people. But it's this terrorism, it's this fear, this cultural fear that goes back to the 20s. And in fact, goes back further, but it's, it's reinvigorated in all of the liberalism of the 1920s. So what the Klan does is terrorism. The Klan moves north. It leaves the south. Indiana actually becomes its number one recruiting ground. There is more Klan organizations and more Klan members in Indiana than anywhere else. And they bring with them the Confederate flag. The Confederate flag becomes a sign of, quote, independence, but for white racists. Well, independence from who? From the liberal government rules and liberal urban society. So Indiana fought the South, fought the Confederacy. Ohio fought the Confederacy. And yet in rural Indiana, you see Confederate flags. You'll see more Confederate flags in rural Indiana than you do in Atlanta, which was a Confederate capital. And that's true today. It becomes this, it moves, the Klan moved north and with it came the Confederate flag. And the Confederate flag was not a symbol of heritage. It was always a symbol of terrorism and independence. It was, you can't make me do X, Y, Z. Mixed with black folk. Accept black folk. Uh, be a liberal. Accept communism. Whatever the X is, it's a, it's a statement of independence for mostly rural white Protestant folk. Two, the Klan has five million members by the 1920s. And so five million people is both poor and wealthy members. So it's not like, oh, the poor rubes out in the countryside. No, it had wealthy people in the cities too. So it shows us that fascism, which the Klan is, appeals in times of crisis, quote-unquote, because we can debate how much of a crisis uh, America was in in the 1920s, being the richest country in the world. But conservatives certainly felt they were in crisis. But in times of crisis and change, fascism has this appeal because it, re it goes to violence. It's conservative violence. And three, we get terrorism. Anti-mixing, anti-Catholicism, anti-immigration all comes to violence. We get the Tulsa destruction of Black Wall Street in Tulsa in 1921. We get the Red Summer of 1919, a mass execution and the looting of black cities and their areas and cities, their quarters. We have public lynchings that are always prevalent, skyrocket in the 20s. Public executions for sexual or economic, quote, transgressions. And it's not just black people. In, in the Southwest, it's Mexicans as well. There is a huge and forgotten history of Latino lynchings in the South and the Southwest, especially along the borders. Here is, uh, if you're watching the video, there's the Texas, there's a picture of the Texas Rangers on their horseback dragging the dead bodies of Mexican quote unquote terrorists. We have the Sacco Vanzetti executions. Now that's carried out by the state, not by um, by private individuals, but it's state violence against immigrants. If you get out of line, the state will execute you. 
We get public marches, which you can see in the bottom right if you're on the video. In 1925, the Ku Klux Klan just walked down Pennsylvania Avenue to show its strength, its impunity from government. It could wear its hoods out in public and be like, look at us, we're so big and powerful, you can't stop us. It's the inevitability of it. So conservatives feel under siege by all the changes happening in the 20s. Worse, people like the changes. The money is being made. Big business needs immigrants. It needs black workers. Liberal cities just flat out, flat out ignore prohibition. There is no prohibition in New York, in Chicago, much less out west. There just isn't. Because there's no enforcement. Okay, they, yeah, you could get the pitcher and get, oh, we're destroying their liquor. All right, right next door is a liquor, is a, is a speakeasy too. And in fact, that made it just sexier. Like everybody wanted to get somebody caught and have the public be destroyed. Oh, 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 because it just made it sexier to go to a speakeasy, to get alcohol. But liberal cities just flat out ignored it. And that's what's going to happen if, if conservatives in 2020, 2021, overturn, get the Supreme Court to overturn Roe versus Wade. Like, liberal blue states are just going to ignore it. You will have abortion in um, New York. You also have abortion in Austin because rich women will still be able to get it. They'll go to their gynecologist, they'll bring their daughters to their gynecologist, and they'll go, she's 16, can we take care of this problem? And they'll say, yeah, here's a pill. Take two of these. If you get some cramps, take some, some Advil. Call me if anything bad happens. And nobody's going to talk about it because rich people can always do it. And if you're rich enough, you go to one of the blue states, and if you're really rich, you take a European vacation, and you come back, and it's taken care of. So it ain't ending. Black entrepreneurs made money from bootlegging, from the arts, right? Music and, and um, performance. They made money from northern factories. They made northern money, which gave them independence from the southern white credit economy. Suddenly, Jim Crow is breaking apart economically because black people don't need white people so much. Southern white people. They're not as dependent. Younger and educated and richer women don't want to go back to 1900. So you have a generational crisis. So even though conservatism is using prohibition, it's using the Klan as terrorism. It's doing these things. Oh, and though the Klan was not just against black people. It's against black people. It's against Catholics. It's against women. It's against Jews. It's against all the people who are, are seen as bringing about change, as not doing what they used to do. The Klan is fascist. The Klan is reactionary. The Klan is revanchist. It wants to go back. And there's plenty of well-educated, rich white people who support that. Because they were in charge in 1910. They don't want to not be in charge. And so they're perfectly happy with the culture going back to 1910. Europe, on the other hand, is much more socialist. In fact, you're going to have real communist parties. That's how socialist uh, Europe will go. 
It's more liberal. It's more open. Why? Because it suffered more in World War I, so there are more changes. So American liberals can just go to Europe to avoid American conservatism. That's Hemingway. That's, that's um, Fitzgerald. That's all those writers. That's his artists. That's black jazz musicians. Black jazz musicians are going to leave America to go to France. So the return to normalcy never worked. You can't go back again. The culture wars, though, increased the panic and the violence of conservative groups. The new woman scared the Klan just as much as the Italian immigrant and just as much as the new Negro did. So there's a willingness by conservative, white, especially rural minorities who are seen, like, remember, more people live in cities now. More people live in the North to turn to violence, state or private, in order to hold back changes. Meanwhile, in Europe, you're getting organizations, much bigger organizations, much more institutional organizations, marches, mob violence against communists, against Jews, coups, literal coups against the government, something that never happens here because they had weak institutions. And so you have monarchists who want to bring back kings. You have communists who want to overthrow the republic. You have conservative businessmen who want to destroy the communists. And so you have these coups that happen. So you have all these weak governments. So I'm ending with pictures of puppies. Why? Because you should go, oh. Because thank you. This, was a, this is a tough episode and they're going to keep getting tough so you might have to use reuse this thank you but this is a tough episode because this is a lot of turmoil there's conservatism versus liberalism there's fascism versus communism there's racism all over the place there's misogyny and it's a tough episode to deal with so thank you be safe and enjoy the puppies i'm gonna just leave it here for a little bit Bye.